Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, when the lights go out... Everybody, you're listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. It's a podcast where we talk about every Bruce Springsteen song alphabetically one by one. My name's Rob Carmack, and that guy over there sitting in the dark, that's JB, Clark. That sure is. Sitting What's in going the on? dark. That's, you know what, JB? That's you in the corner. That's you in the spotlight. That is me in the spotlight. Well, except the spotlight went out. Speaking of 90s music. Yeah. That's you in the corner. Little REM action. Absolutely. Um, man, somebody ought to do this for REM. Oh yeah, I'd listen to that. Absolutely, they're they're uh, the Adam Scott and uh, Scott Ackerman did like uh, REM. They did some sort of REM podcast where they talked about all the albums. But I don't think anybody's done a song by song yet for them. They will. It'll happen. REM deserves it. Anyway, <laughs> JB, the song that we're talking about today is the song "When the Lights Go Out." When the lights go out. And this song was included on the 1998 jumbo size box set tracks. And it was recorded in 1990, on December 6th, 1990, during the Human Human Touch session. So this was an outtake from the Human Touch album. Yeah. Uh, the song debuted, actually, at the Shrine Auditorium for an event benefiting an organization that acts as a government watchdog, which makes the song pretty appropriate. Uh, that was in Los Angeles. In fact, you can, buy, you can get that on Bruce's website. There's a two-night stand where Bruce basically just plays, it's just him and an acoustic guitar. So it's sort of like a precursor to the Broadway stuff. We've and, talked about another song that he debuted there. Yeah, th- there were a couple that he put up. Uh, um, I think Cynthia was was one of them that he did. At, at, anyway, there, there's a handful of songs yeah, yeah. that he, he did. Um, did, he, did he do Redheaded Woman there? He did do Redheaded Woman. He also did, because Bonnie Wright was there. And uh, he also did um, Real World. He did an acoustic version of Real World. So he was, you know, it's an inter- if you go back and listen, it's a pretty interesting show. But this is one of the songs that he debuted at those. At, and uh, so, like I said, it was re- written and recorded for Human Touch. It was ultimately left off. And he has played the song twice ever in his life. And it was at those two shows in L.A. at the Shrine Auditorium in 1990. So the interesting thing is he played the song twice when no one had ever heard it. And then since 1998, when tracks came out and this was on it, he hasn't played it since. That is what this song is. And uh, so this being a Human Touch outtake, it's going to have some, you know, some specific choices that bruce made during the recording so jb what what do you hear uh okay so this is one of those bruce on bass songs i think yes i think one of the ones he wrote on bass uh much like the other songs that he debuted at the christic shows um and i i really dealt with this for a little bit uh when i was i was going through this like i i sat down and i was like all right why do you hate all these songs but why do you love them all so much too like what's your deal <laughs> uh because i don't i don't like them but I, I can't stop thinking about them. You know what I mean? I, I they, they hold like a really special place in my heart. Yeah. Um, I love the sound. I, I love the sound of them. Uh, but I don't think that they're like well executed songs. Yeah. You're, so you're right. The the bass just takes right. I think over. maybe the yeah. I think maybe like the lyrics and melody aren't always that great, and that's part of it. But the sparsity of the music with the thumping, picked out bass line, supported by like little bits of synth here, a little bits of drum there, you know, sort of until it all comes together, is a really interesting recipe that I'm I'm very interested in. If you told me Bruce is writing like a Bruce on bass record right now, I would be beside myself excited. <laughs> I mean, we pretty much I, have that, do we not? With all those songs from the the 1990 
uh, the sessions from the nineties or from the yeah, year nineteen ninety. We do. We have like six or something like that. But well, that's there's, I 50, would, there's say what. I would want. I, I, what I'm saying is, I want him to take another shot at it because oh, there's see. something to it. Uh, they have these incredible moments, but they're also like really close to being almost inconsequential slash totally forgettable. Do you have a favorite? Um, this might be it. I don't know though. Uh, I will say I figured it out though. Mm-hmm. They occupy this weird space between like uh, David Byrne and the Talking Heads, yeah, and '90s pop country and noir. Yeah. That's right. It's like this weird, and they don't, they don't stick the landing. Yeah, well, I, there's got to be a reason he only included one on any. Like the only one that actually made it to a real album was Fifty Seven Channels and Nothing On. Not the best one. No, not the best one in my so, opinion. So, imagine this though for a second. Mm-hmm. So, have you ever seen a Depeche Mode show mm-hmm. live or recorded? No, I mean I've listened to their albums, but I've, I've right. never. They do some. Very interesting sort of stage setups. Yeah, uh, they're not a moving around a whole bunch band. You know, the lead singer is very much a like a very sexual crooner on the microphone, and the rest of the guys are like sort of nerdy synth guys. So they're just kind of at their stations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have to rely really heavily on like sort of the production of the show. So imagine for a second, Roy, at some insane built-out synth console. You know, like the one from the darknesses believe in a thing called love, but themed around this a, no, a more noir you know analog looking synth console they just built and put the synths inside on a riser just in the back of the stage backstage left with a giant sort of crazy light show going on not like lots of light just a very interesting light show going on some weird gobos happening and then Bruce's center stage low spotlight short scale Mustang bass just Standing there in the microphone, just picking on a short scale Mustang bass and singing, and just some kid playing drums in a weird asymmetrical spot on the other side of the stage. <laughs> just imagine that with me for a second, and then right. an elevator with these in the middle of the stage with these backup singers that pop up when they have farts and go back down wherever they go. <laughs> just imagine how that is what this should have been, you know? Like that's incredible. It, and you know what? I, as I thought about that, I thought, oh, yeah, it's kind of like a suicide set, but in an arena, like the band Suicide. Yeah. There's a, there's definitely like a sort of – I understand now where Bruce is coming from and where he's trying to get to. This was happening in the era of 90s pop country and also David Byrne. Hmm. And he's a big fan of Suicide and noir and sort of just like working class. You know, he writes a lot of sort of uh, noir songs. Yeah, well, especially during these sessions. Yeah, well, and also his early stuff could have been noir novels. I've got I bought a book of short stories based uh, on uh, meeting across song. the river. Yeah, meeting across the river. Yeah, and I was sitting here like meeting under the bridge. No, uh, brothers over the rivers. No, uh. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. He does he does write a lot of songs with that sort of like shadowy narrative. That the like, yeah, I mean, but the thing is like. With with a lot of the songs from these sessions, lyrically he just didn't get there. Like I think you're right. I think. But what I, if those lyrics were set to this sort of music? Yeah, that would be cool. Well, and and also like my favorite of the bass guitar sessions of his, like from this particular like sonic set of choices, is "Gave It a Name," which does sort yes. of have that kind of sensibility to it. Like it does, it seems to be saying something more than like my cable package is too big, you know, or um. Whatever, you know, like, like that one seems to be getting at, like, trying to deal with 
the presence of evil in the world, which is really what that sound, I mean, it, that's what that sound is for. You know, it's like, it, like, I think we've compared it to like Twin Peaks before, which is exactly what Twin Peaks is, right? It's it's sort of like you, you have like this glossy, like top sh- surface, but then just beneath the surface, there's a lot of like confusion and darkness and fear. And like, I think David and Name is the only song that he really like touches that. On, with, yeah. with the with those within those sessions the, the yeah. bass guitar sessions god that's a good one it is a good one I, I really like that one that's i think that may be the only in my top 100 i think that may be the only one from these sessions that made it yeah um yeah, but that one's a little more guitar than bass but it was it was created during like he frames it he he includes that in the list of of songs that came from those sessions yeah where he was writing on the bass like that yeah uh, where does he say that? Where, where where was that interview? Do you know? Do you remember? I think it's in the liner notes from tracks. I might be wrong though. One note that I found from the studio sessions here is that this song was originally recorded with a drum machine, but um, the liner notes say that Jeff Percaro Jeff Percaro gets uh, credit for playing drums on this track. So it looks like they went back in and replaced the drum machine with a real drummer. And I got to say that mm-hmm. does help the song. Like that. Like if, I, I tried to listen to it, try, imagining if they'd use like a like a, just a digital drum machine. And this is better. Yeah. You know, so I'm glad I'm glad they decided to do that. I think uh, it'd be super cool had it been a little bit of drum machine that turned into drums. Oh, sort of like huh? like going from black and white to color. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like cool. <laughs> I just thought of that because we're talking about Depeche Mode and they, they do that in their live set. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, cool. Well, then uh, let's let's hit it with the lyrics. So. All right. Take it away. Here we go. Now you say you have a friend. You trust him with your life. You trust him with your money. You trust him with your kids. You'd even trust him with your wife. You better watch what's going on when the lights are out. When the night is dark. When there ain't nobody looking around. Yeah, when the lights are out, down in this dirty little town. So basically, like, there are people in your life that you trust. And you trust them completely. And then uh, then basically the quasi chorus part of the song is like, but you shouldn't, you should not trust people, you know, because when the lights go out, people will show you who they really are and you will never be like pleasantly surprised. So it's, it's pretty cynical, like right out of the gate. It's like, Oh, you've got a good friend and you trust him completely. That's the person that's going to like, it's going to destroy you when he finally does betray you, you know? Yeah. So there's that. Then the next verse is, well, now the world is dark and funny. Better listen up to what I say. You ain't going to know. Uh, yeah. You ain't going to know what's going on by what you see in the light of day. You gotta watch what's going on when the lights go out. When the lights are out. When the night is dark. When there ain't nobody looking around. Yeah. When the lights are out in this dirty little town. So again, get the chorus. It's really two lines and then a chorus. So let's see. You ain't gonna know what's going on by what you see in the light of day. So again, it's this idea of you have one image of things because you're looking at the best version of itself, and then when you turn your back on it, or when the lights go out, or when nobody's paying attention, that's when uh, that's when the darker, more insidious things are gonna take place. All right. And then it says. Now you swear that she trusted you within reason I understand but you kept sliding I'm sorry you kept slipping in late at night and in the morning you had that smell on your hands which all right that's very specific yeah. imagery uh very. so so basically it's like oh like you're the person like he, he's talking to somebody as if he's giving them a warning and saying like look you can't trust anybody everybody everybody's out for themselves everybody's lying everybody has a, like a secret motive and then in the, in the bridge it's basically like Oh, and so do you, by the way. Like, don't don't kid yourself and think that you're more trustworthy than everybody else. Like, you are just as culpable and just as um, compromised as everybody else is because you got that smell on your hands. And it says, 
Well, now the world is turning, Rome is burning. Me, I'm watching and learning, and I'm learning. They say, sure is God's hand in, in the ticking of the clock. The Lord's light will shine under every slimy rock. Well, last night I slept the sleep of fear, and I heard God's voice whisper in my ear. He said, you better watch what's going on when the lights are out, when the night is dark, when there ain't nobody looking around. So basically, it's like, now I'm realizing that I have these secrets that I really desperately need to keep. And I just have this deep fear that I'm going to be fi- found out one day, and it's affecting me. And I'm like, I'm losing sleep over the over the fear that I'm going to be discovered. I don't like the. Uh, I don't even know what I was trying to say, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty like bleak and all, like yeah. almost nihilistic, right? Like it's pretty much just like there. There is no like a lot of Bruce's music lives inside the tension of hope and despair, and this song, at the very least, seems to think like hope is kind of for suckers. Yeah, and it's not even it's not even nihilistic about like big stuff that's scary. It's nihilistic about the little stuff that hey, you got some friends that you trust. Well, I'm here to tell you, <laughs> one of them sleeping with your wife. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. Uh, I don't know. It just I don't like people who think that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the image of where it says, "Well, now the world is turning, Rome is burning." It makes me wonder if at least partially this is about America. You know, I mean, not to just make everything about America, but uh, yeah, it could be. He wasn't. I don't know. Some of these songs were less about America, more about, you know what I mean? It was a lot more about like sort of personal relationships at this point, though. Yeah. Although, I mean, in 1990, when he wrote and recorded this song, this is the year. This is the 10th year of Republican control. You know, I mean, Reagan, this this is year two of George Bush senior. That's a good point. So, I mean, (laughs) so the Rome is burning line may have something you know, that he may be saying something bigger. But, I, I mean, obviously, yeah, I think for the most part, this song is about, like, personal. Or, I mean, it's, it starts at least there, where it's, it's like, you can't trust anybody, uh, and nobody should trust you. And so, but but again, like, if if you zoom out from that, and you look at the Roma's burning line, it's like, yeah, and, and if you get every, if you get a whole bunch of, of people in the world, and none of them are trustworthy, then you have an untrustworthy society. Right. And, and maybe that's at least part of why he uses, like, world is turning, Rome is burning line i don't know yeah uh, yeah yeah man so that's it's a cynical little song about how you can't trust anybody very cynical very cynical. i don't don't like that that's what i'm saying is is uh there's some really cool weird uh musical stuff happening that is sort of very ingrained in the time but also weird for the time yeah and then and then these lyrics are just not doing it no and i mean but the the melody is is strong like I, i i think he he crafted a really interesting good melody i think that's probably yeah. the best part of the song absolutely and i'm saying like imagine him writing some like biting commentary like societal commentary lyrics and putting on some friggin ostrich skin boots and getting a mustang short scale bass and standing in front of a dim spotlight and just nailing those songs you know what i mean like, yeah I think that's why I'm so disappointed in this is because it's it's going to this very specific place that, that not a lot of people go to that I want. I want to hear it. So your your problem is it just doesn't live up to its potential. Yeah, this could be this, like he's really playing with some 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 fire here, and I think I think we could have ourselves a fire if he <laughs> if he got it if he if he just just nailed the lyrics and he just doesn't on it, on any of them except except for one. <laughs> you got my gave it a name. Yeah, gave it a name is kind of the one. Yeah, I think so. I yeah, I'm 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 kind of with you. I, I, I it would not bother me at all to see him take like you said take another swing at it 
Or, and I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's more stuff that he. I mean, he he, he seems to have an endless vault. Like like it just seems bottomless sometimes that he just has all this stuff that he's recorded and never put out anywhere. So I wonder if there is more content out there similar to this, but with better lyrics. Yeah, you know, I, man, I don't know. I would I would would kill to hear that though. It'd be I would. Great. Too. Yeah, it'd be it'd be cool. I, I hope someday he'll he'll just empty the vault, but. I mean, I hate, hate to say it this way, but it probably won't be him who does it. It'll probably be like his whoever is in charge of his estate after he is uh, no longer alive. Many decades from now, long time from now, yeah. Um, but um, not not unlike what's happening with Tom Petty right now. Like um, you know, Tom, Tom Petty and or his his daughter and his business partner Mike Campbell put out like this giant like vault release not not long ago, and. Um, and I'm, I think that in Prince, same thing. You know, I, mean, I think that's yeah. just become part of sort of what happens when a when a legacy artist dies is that people want to know is there is there more that we never got to hear. So yeah. Um, and again, like long time from now, I don't want to I don't want to like put anything bad into the universe. But I'm saying like if, if more stuff like this is out there, that's probably the most likely time that we'll get it. Yeah, that is when we'll get it. Yeah. Uh, how Unless many? He writes another bass record. I mean, I, that, case, that's always that possible. He he is he is nothing if not unpredictable. So it, it is always possible that more more content will show up on our doorsteps one day. So who knows? Yeah. How many dark rooms do you give this song? Two uh, two and a half, right in the middle. Man, same. Yeah. It, yeah, it gets two and a half for the melody and and some some of the imagery is is pretty good, but yeah, it's it's halfway between really good and really bad. <laughs> so I, yeah, I simultaneously want to give it like four and zero. <laughs> yeah, and which means two and a half is correct. Yeah, that's, that's a good, two and a half feels right. It's a good compromise. All right, well, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, if you will join us again next time, we'll talk about the song "When the Saints Go Marching In." Mm-hmm.